Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. On the record with White House correspondent April Ryan. It is indeed an honor to be with one of my heroes for this podcast, for this On the Record with April Ryan. Someone who is in the trenches. Someone who is um, a leader who has a heart for matters of race who understands that the black community uh, still has the highest numbers of negatives, goes out on the front line challenging the system. I'm talking about none other than Father Michael Flager of St. Sabinus Church in the south side of Chicago. <laughs> Father Flager, <laughs> we have to put the Good morning, on. April. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me on the record. It's um, an honor. Yes, we've got so much to talk about in these few minutes. But first, you know, I was in Chicago with you once again. Thank you so much for allowing me uh, to sit in that mighty pulpit and, and, and you offered me uh, your podium where I spoke to your church. It was so wonderful. But in the midst of that, you know, before we went and had the, uh, the, 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 the speech and the conversation with the church, you gave me some very interesting information. Um, and this, it all comes out of President Trump talking about Chicago, the ills of Chicago. Um, you said you reached out to the president. You, you sent two letters to the White House, and he hasn't responded. Tell me about that. Well, yes, and you know he's seemingly decided to make Chicago a punching bag over the last year, um, and to continue to speak about it, but never have the courage to really truly address it. So we um, sent two letters, and the first one was just saying, "Hey, you're talking about Chicago. Um, if you are serious about." wanting to really help Chicago, I suggest that you come here, um, invite you to come to St. Sabina Church. You can have the facility here. We'll do a town hall meeting and bring folks from around Chicago together so that you can get an understanding of the issues that we're dealing with here. Um, because just speaking from tweets and from press conferences about Chicago and the violence and it's crazy and it's out of control, um, if, if you're serious, then come and find out the roots of this, of what's going on here, and see how you can seriously try to help it. Some of the first letter, just say, come, have a town hall meeting, listen, and then let's see what you're going to do. Um, no response from that one at all. Not even acknowledgement the letter came, although the letter never came back. It's the same address that we've been using since uh, all these years, sending letters to presidents and to folks in the White House. Then the second letter was this, and saying, you know, I'm beginning to wonder if part of your um, attack or naming of Chicago is that you want to embarrass the uh, hometown of President Obama or perhaps the former chief of staff to President Obama, Rahm Emanuel. If that's your motive and that's what you want to do, again, I invite you to come. And I also invite you then really seriously 
seriously address and fix the problems of inequality, of poor schools, of no housing, of lack of economic development, of high unemployment, of poverty, come and really transform the South and the West Side of Chicago, and you embarrass mayors and governors and presidents for years who have not done this. So if you're serious, then come and do something other than just talking about it as a punching bag way in your press conferences or tweets. Again, no response, no uh, even acknowledgement of the letter. So, you know, it just made clear to me what has been seemingly my belief all along, that there never is a concern or a, or a commitment to say, how do we change this? Um, there's just a use of it to be a punching bag and um, speak about it in generalities at some press conference or a tweet. And that's insulting and it's not acceptable. So a year and some days ago, the president had, this president, Donald J. Trump, had a listening session with black Republican leaders. And I remember specifically one of those was Daryl Scott of Cleveland talking about how the uh, gangs in Chicago were looking forward to uh, hearing from President Trump, not from Barack Obama, because he called him the other one. Um, and uh, that was one of the first times as president we heard him talking about uh, Chicago. And, I, and if I'm correct, at that press conference, again, um, more than a year and a few days ago, um, where I got a question of the president in that solo press conference, he brought up Chicago. Was that around the time you started sending your letters? Yes, it was early on in his administration that we first sent the letter when he first started. I think it was the second time that I had heard him speak about Chicago. And I thought, okay, if Chicago's on your mind, let me show, show me if you're for real about this. Show me if this is really a concern or this is just another one of those flippant statements you make. And, and my concern about this, April, is that, you know, I live here. I lost uh, uh, an adopted son to gun violence two blocks from my church. I bury children from this church. I buried Taiwan Lee, the nine-year-old who was executed in an alley, um, and countless other children. These are real lives. These are children. These are brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. This is a real thing. There's blood on our streets. Our our landmarks, you know, and many of our neighborhoods here are not Frank Lloyd Wright homes. They're teddy bears and yellow police tape and balloons. This is real here. This is real blood. So if you're serious, either come here and do something about it or shut up and stop talking about it flippantly like this is some um, political campaign uh, while, while people are in trauma as a result of what's going on. And you deal with the gangs. You meet every Monday, am I correct? Was yes, um, the yes we, we started this uh, this Peace League actually about seven or eight years ago. We've had about 350 uh, folks that have come through it and about seven or 800 who have been connected to it, um, where we bring different gang, gangs together. That league has moved now to eight teams, uh, six different gangs involved. We go into a draft so people in different, different gang affiliates are playing ball with each other to get to know each other, build relationships. Then we try to get them in job training, try to get them back in GED if they don't have it. So it's not just about basketball. It's the hook then to say, how do we get you back on your feet and get you back in your purpose and your destiny? As well as started a program a year ago with 50 uh, folks with records, with felonies. Uh, some had ankle braces on, some um, on parole at the time, to, and said, let's show what we keep saying is if you give these young men 
an opportunity, a safety net, uh, training, life skills, support system, and, and accountability system, we can change lives. So 46 of those 50 are now in full-time employment. Um, we have just took another 50 on we're working with now. Uh, you know, it is no question to me that 95% of these brothers out in the communities, you know, want the option of doing something more. But if there's no options and every door is closed and we keep treating people like they're disposable, whether it's from the White House or the government um, or, or the state or city in Chicago, if we do not give them opportunity, then we're co-conspirators of this violence. Hmm. So there's a lot to unpack here because we're talking about the issue of guns. And mm-hmm. we've been talking about the issue of guns for a long time. And we've been talking about the issue of guns in our community for a long time. Now our children are saying we're not taking it anymore, our white children, our brown children, our black children, and they're standing up and they're causing the president to take a look. They're causing Congress to take a look. They're causing NRA to back now. What are your thoughts about all of this? Well, uh, you know, I I am grateful. Um, you know, I, I'm part of me is just like, what has taken so long? Because um, the this this incident in, in in Parkland, Florida, and these young kids rising up there and being so strong, um, while this cry has been coming around this country in black and brown communities for so long, you know, America has a love affair with guns. Um, guns have an NRA has been extremely successful. Um, in their marketing strategy to make people think the only way we're going to be safe is more guns, even though every statistic proves that to be not true, even though suicides are up and, and, and the violence is, is going through the ceiling in this country. But they have made people think that what makes me safer is to have a gun. So the arming of themselves is a business decision. And that's why they stop every kind of legislation that makes people responsible. You know, if people want to believe in the Second Amendment and say, that gives me right, we should all have guns, that's fine. First of all, the British are not coming back. We should be clear about that. But the second thing is that people have to have responsible ownership. I've been saying for 15 years, title a gun like a car. So if I give you my car and I don't transfer the title and you're in an accident, I'm responsible. Let's do the same thing with guns. Let's title them. If somebody sells a gun, they have to transfer a title. If that gun's used in a crime and it's not been a title transfer, then the person who bought the gun is responsible. We will stop the gun laundering of those who are putting guns on the streets real quickly when people are held responsible. But we have to get away from this gun mentality. Um, that, and, it, and it's a business. I mean, let's face it. You know, if we start to have legislation that puts a real responsibility on gun ownership, if let you know, number one consumer they say of guns right now in America is the illegal gun. So we can take away the illegal ownership. All of a sudden, there's less guns being made. There's gun manufacturers make less money, and then the gun lobby gets less money. It's all business. That's just why you look at this dangerous thing that Trump is saying now about putting teachers on teachers. Now imagine if this continues, gets a momentum. And the NRA helps with this marketing that schools will be safer if teachers have guns in this ridiculous mentality. There'll be thousands and thousands of teachers buying guns all around this country, which will bring up the business of gun ownership. And then we're talking about we'll give them extra money. 
Isn't this crazy? We don't give extra money to teachers who have great scores and have great kids graduating, but now we want to give teachers extra money if they, um, if they own guns and have them in the classroom. And they want those teachers to basically engage in a shootout, something yeah. that the Broward County, that the, the Sheriff's Department, the deputies couldn't even do. They want the teachers to engage in a shootout, not knowing what the results could be. Uh, Absolutely. You hear, yeah, you hear from both sides of this. Once again, Father Slater from St. Sabinas in the south side of Chicago was me on the record. The Father, you know, I've talked to, I mean, I, I, I watch social media. I talk to I watch social media, I talk to various people, and I, I've seen an outcry more than not of people not wanting teachers to carry guns. And listening to all of this, um, the proposals or the ideas that are put on the table, I talked to uh, one Democratic leader on, on the Hill who said, look, you know, they're saying all this, but they're slow-walking this. They're not really thinking that anything's going to happen because, one, it's the onus is now taken off of the gun issue itself and now being placed more so on the ineptitude of the FBI and uh, the police there. And it's not, the focus is not necessarily on guns. Mm-hmm. Do you think, even with our kids, with this rally cry and, 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 and trying to incite the nation to, to stand up, you know, for safe schools and, 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 and some kind of gun control, do you think that this congressional leader is right? nothing is going to happen this time. That's my worry, because let's face it, you know, uh, we've seen now, and, and too many times in history, that people will get up and make politically correct statements to try, because they know where the public are at. We've known for years where the public stands on, on the wanting more gun legislation that is common-sense gun legislation. This has always been the majority of, of Americans and a majority of NRA membership. But then when it comes to actually doing some the courage to do legislation that'll make flesh to these politically correct statements, they're slow to do it because they're afraid of the backlash from the NRA and from very powerful supporters. That's why when that young man stood at, at the uh, CNN town hall meeting, looked at Mark Rubio, and said, and will you say right now that you will not take another dime from the NRA, Mark Rubio would not respond to him. And that's got to be a litmus test that goes around this country right now. We've got to have anybody that's running for office to be able to stand up and, and commit to not taking a penny from the NRA. Because when that happens, then we begin to take the power away from the NRA. And then people and, and running for office can become accountable to the people that they're serving and not to who's putting money into their account and owns them. So I am very afraid that the, uh, the, after all the politically correct statements and after all the rah-rah to want to get everybody to say, oh, we've got to do something, we've got to do something, I want to know what are you going to do. Will you stop taking money from the NRA? And number two, will you vote for this legislation? Will you ban assault weapons that are military weapons? Will you put responsibility on gun licensing? Will you put total background checks? Will you not just talk about mental health people not getting guns, but also providing mental health support? Because the same people that are up there saying now, yes, we've got to help people with mental health not to get guns, but you closed all the mental health 
centers around the country for people getting help, too. Will you really do the things necessary to make America safer in our classrooms and in our streets? Or are you going to try to ride out this momentum right now with saying the right things, but lack the courage to do the right things? You marched with Dr. King. You marched with John Lewis and Harry Belafonte during the 60s. That's some of the reason why you got your heart, the 50s and 60s, I would say. Um, what is missing now um, as you look back to the past, to the present? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think um, right now we're in a, in a very, very serious time in our country. Um, morality has is, is been downgraded, and, and truth seems to be blocked away in a closet somewhere. And while all that's happening, you know, this president um, has to accept um, accountability for hate and supremacy. Um, be given new breath in this country. His backing off and his winking of the eye and his nodding to groups of hate in this country um, have allowed them to rise up. But I think the most serious thing to me, April, that is very discouraging, if you look back at Dr. King, look at the Civil Rights Movement. The Civil Rights Movement was grounded and rooted in the church. Its foundations was in the church. All, nearly all of its meetings were held in the church in midst of prayer and, and singing and scripture and then marching orders to go out of the church and change communities. And the church ha- has become some kind of a spiritual laryngitis in this day. There, there's, we're lacking the prophetic voice um, that is needed. We're lacking the courage that says the church ought to be the conscience and the, and the moral compass of society, and the church has become too much more of just another corporation, another Fortune 500 business. In fact, there's one whole whole part of this of the church in the in this recent this recent year who has become the the supporter consciously, publicly, and subconsciously and quietly of issues that the president has done is not calling him out on morality and a, and a consciousness. And, you know, saying crazy things like that God has appointed him and he's the leader for God at this time. Where What has happened to the church? So if the church does not regain its... It's, it's, it's power and legitimacy um, with being the voice that speaks the conscience, that asks the questions, that raises the issues, that throws stones at the windows and makes government and corporate America and capitalism ask themselves what they're doing. If we stop doing that, then our society, I believe, is lost because we, there's got to be some kind of a moral compass that addresses both an administration, um, a Congress, a president, a corporate America that is going rogue right now and bringing and uncovering and, and encouraging the worst of America to be in control and be the voice. So the church, the synagogue, and the mosque has to step up and regain its place. Wow. Brother Flager, I could talk to you all day and ask questions and just listen to your wisdom. Um, anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just want to thank you, April, because you are um, one of those voices that continue to ask the questions. Um, and we need your voice. We need voices like you. You should not be the exception. Um, you should be the norm in media of asking the questions. And, and there's an old spiritual that says, make them hear you. And I believe that right now we need in, the, in society, the church, the synagogue, the mosque, 
the voice of conscience, the voice of truth, the voice of justice, the voice of love and peace in this country. We have to make America hear us and not shut up, not be quiet. This is the time to stand up, to rise up, to resist, and to support folks like you and others who are asking the questions and demand answers. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.